Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. I do podcast episode 50. Welcome to IDoPodcast.com, where fun and inspiring relationship experts, therapists, and couples share tips and advice that will help lead you to a fulfilling and happy relationship. Let their guidance illuminate your path to happiness. Are you ready to create lasting love? And now, your hosts, Chase and Sarah. Do you have a topic that you'd like to hear more about or a relationship question you'd like answered? 
Email us at info at idopodcast.com and we'll be sure to add it to one of our upcoming episodes. Hello, everyone. We're excited to introduce our guest today, Melinda Blau. Hi, Melinda. Hi, how are you? We're doing great. How are you doing? Good. I'm very happy to be on your show. I think it's a terrific idea. We're happy to have you on with us. Thank you. Award-winning journalist Melinda Blau has been researching, writing, and speaking about relationships and social trends for more than 30 years. Her latest book, Family Whispering, is the fourth book in the popular Baby Whispering series. She answers readers' questions weekly at Dear Family Whisper on Huffington Post. A featured guest expert on Oprah, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, and numerous other national and local TV and radio broadcasts. Melinda's writing also has been honored by a wide variety of organizations, including the American Psychological Association, the Children's Rights Council, the Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. We've given our listeners just a little overview, so take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships. Well, I've always, since I was a young, a young child, really, I grew up in a family with a much older brother and older sister, nine and eleven years older than me. So I used to say I grew up with a household of adults. Yeah, I was the only <laughs> child, and um, I used to sit at the top of the stairs and I would listen to their arguments and their discussions about dates and boyfriends, and you know, I was six and they were in their teenage years. And it, I was absolutely fascinated by relationship dynamics as a kid. Um, my friends tell me that when I went to college, I stayed up all night and asked them about their relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started sort of studying just because I was interested in it. And then um, when I got into writing, it was kind of a natural, you know, they say, write what you know. And I both know a lot about relationships, and I've also done a tremendous amount of research um, over the last 30 years, which makes me sound in, in, incredibly old, but I hope wise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, it's just, uh, I love, I love, I never get tired of hearing people's stories and, and understanding what makes them tick. Well, I'm sure all of your knowledge is going to help our listeners today when we get on to this very important, relevant topic of listening and communication in a relationship and want to talk about an article that you wrote in your Huffington Post Dear Family Whisperer section on how to make him listen when you need to talk. Right. One of the reasons, I mean, I'm responding, that that column is very interesting. Um, First of all, let me back up a little bit. Family Whispering uh, is, you know, it's a relationship book. It's really not a parenting book. Um, because I look at all the different relationships in a family, and the family is, is in a large part where you learn different relational habits, sometimes for good and sometimes not so good. Um, so it's really important to to look at relationships at that level. And one reason I love that you two are doing this show before you even have a family of your own, I mean, you're already a little family, um, but really when kids come, that's when it becomes a family, but so many parents don't realize that uh, the relationship is absolutely key. It's, it's the one thing that I always say, and one of the things I say in the book is 
before you say or do anything, ask yourself, is this going to improve the relationship? And often, just that little pause of asking that question will make you better at relationships because um, you will be thoughtful and conscious about them. So when I write the family, uh, Dear Family Whisperer columns, it's in response to the most common questions I get. And uh, that particular one was about a woman who was changing jobs and her uh, partner, they were not married, and her partner um, really was very anxious and didn't want to talk about it with her. And she didn't want to make such a big decision. They have a four-year-old by herself. And she shouldn't make it by herself. And yet, um, there is such a common issue among that I find among couples. And often it's divided among down gender lines, although not necessarily. Often it's the woman who wants to talk more than the man. Mm-hmm. But it's not always that way. And one reason I say that is that I've interviewed both straight and gay couples. And in gay couples, you still find someone who wants to do more of the talking and someone who's very eager to engage in conversation and the other partner, not so much. So it's not just a gender issue. It's a lot about personalities. Yeah. And and we all come from a different place and need to communicate ourselves uh, in a different way. That's right. And we've all learned different things at home. So, you know, I remember uh, interviewing a, a couple uh, a young couple who um, every time he raised his voice, even though he wasn't angry at her, uh, she thought he was yelling at her. And she he had come from a family of screamers. You know, they, they love they loved to argue. They loved to, you know, make fun of each other. And they all knew it was in good fun. She came from, uh, she was an only child and came from a family where people did not express emotions very openly. So she had no idea what hit her when they got married. Mm. And and this happens often. Yeah, and, and so it's it's important to understand your background and the way that you communicate and that's gonna help you better communicate with uh, your significant other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, in the column that I wrote, I think one of the most important things that I, I wrote, you couples get stuck in roles. You know, and in that case, she was the one who always was making decisions, making, you know, letting him know, protecting him from getting too anxious. And I said to her, one of the things she needs to do is allow herself to be vulnerable. Because when we get stuck in those roles, we we repeat patterns over and over again. That's why very often couples will have an argument and if one of them has the wherewithal to kind of step back and say, oh, my God, we're sa- we're doing the same old argument that we've done before. We might as well turn on a tape recorder and just save it for the next time. Mm-hmm. Right. And, in, and when you find yourself doing that, it means you're stuck in roles. You're stuck in a place that you always say the same thing. You know, she said, he said, and it's usually the same. So it's very important for... The partner who is always the the rock, the strong one, to sometimes say, you know what, I'm worried about making this change too. You're not the only one that's worried because then it then the anxiety gets divided more equally. It's it's funny. There's like a, an ecosystem in a relationship, and in many couples I see, 
somebody is the angry one and gets to do all the anger. Mm -hmm. Someone gets to do all the crying. When both people are having those feelings, they they just show it differently. Do you have any advice for our listeners who who are maybe stuck in those gender roles, like you were saying, any tips for them to step out of their comfort zone and maybe test and express their emotions that are the ones that aren't able to express their emotions? Yes. Um, First of all, I think first you have to become conscious of it. Um, And and again, it may be gender roles, it may be personality and and past. Both of those are very, very powerful factors. So what I, I have observed in, in couples is that they tend to swing towards one side or another. I call it either contentiousness or coexistence. Coexistence, you're kind of going along and nothing is too exciting in the relationship. Nothing is too new. Each person is getting into their own thing and they're polite to one another. But it's not really exciting. And if you stay too long at either of those poles, obviously, if you stay too long at the contentious pole, it's not good either if you're arguing and you're always picking on each other. So what I say is pay attention to that equilibrium. And when you start to to, to tip in one direction or the other, somebody has to say something. And somebody, always it's one person that starts it. And... If, as a couple, you can resolve to, I have a thing in the book called forget the, forget the Last Five Minutes, and it's a wonderful technique because you could be arguing, having one of those same old arguments. Let's say it's about something about the housework. You know, I thought it was your turn to take out the garbage, and then you're suddenly off and running. And if one of you can stop the action and say, okay, forget the last five minutes, that means nobody wins the argument, which is never, nobody's a winner when somebody's trying to win in a relationship. And you kind of take a breath, step back, and you, you take what I call a personal timeout. And you say, look, this, obviously we need to talk about this, but this is silly. So let's forget the last five minutes and let's talk about this 10 minutes from now, tomorrow, whatever works for both of you. But this is something that you need to talk about before you get into those arguments. It's a very, very important couple skill. Uh, I think that's just such valuable information for, for us and our listeners because we, we hear a lot about communication and, and it is so important. So you get down this path of arguing and then just say, forget the last five minutes. It's sort of like starting over. and right. Because the stuff that, is usually said in those first five minutes is trivial and and it's going into those roles that you talked about. So just, it's sort of like hitting the reset button. That's right. And it, and it gives you both a chance to bow out graciously. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. The truth is that, you know, one of the things, and this has taken me in my own life personally, a long time to, you know, a lot of us want to be right. Mm-hmm. We want it. Right. We want the other person to see it our way, and you know, m- in most cases, there's really no right or wrong, you know. And usually, what it's about, it's cleaning the air conditioner. Oh no, do it this way. This is the right way, and there isn't a right way. It's your way, and then there's his way or her way. So the forget the last five minutes allows you to get out of that. Um, 
kind of spiraling, I'm going to win this argument, I'm going to win this argument. But you're really a winner if instead you stop it from escalating. That's, that's the real win. Because nobody wins when somebody walks away going, see, I was right. Yeah. Nobody wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to put your ego aside. And then another thing, another analogy that I I like that we hear a lot is um, that we're on the same team. So you and your partner are on the same team. You're going to win together and you're going to lose together. So That's right. That's right. One of the things that's interesting, I love the same team analogy, um, but you're not in the same boat. And, and I write about that. I think I mentioned it in the, in the column that you talked about, and I know I mentioned it in another column. There's a lot of times, and this is our romantic you know, culture, music and movies, oh, we're in the same boat. Well, we're really not. When you choose a partner, you choose, you're in your boat, and he or she is in their boat, and you're choosing to go down the same river, but you're two separate people. And it's really important to, to not only remember that, but embrace your differences and embrace the fact, you know, remember what, what it was that drew you to the person in the first place. Um, and often it's something that's different from you. So it's very important to not to be on the same team, but you're not in the same boat. It's a different, you know, it's a different way of thinking about it. Yeah, that's another great analogy that, you know, we're coming from a different background, a different perspective. So as much as relationships about being the same person, realizing you're in a different boat and and uh, embracing it as you move forward. Right. And so that's, you know, it, to me, one of the, the most important things is, you know, remember where you end and he or she begins because it's, it's, it's different. You're not the same person. And you won't, it probably will net, I mean, there were always things, that, one interesting study showed that um, among what, uh, John Gottman, I'm sure you've heard of him, he's a very renowned relationship researcher, yeah. yep. and he found that um, among the best functioning couples, uh, and only 17% of his couples fit this category, 69% of the time they did not agree on things. Mm-hmm. But because every they, they they loved each other, they they nurtured their relationship, and all the other things were right. They knew they didn't have to agree, and that's really wise. Because when you know you don't have to agree, then you, you then you're better able to sit back and really listen, and really understand who the other person is. Mm. It's when you think you've got to whip everybody into compliance that you get into trouble because it's often impossible. Sixty nine percent of the time. <laughs> I know. I, I was reading that in in that chapter in in your book, and it was I when I saw that I was shocked. But it makes you yeah. realize that not every relationship is perfect, and majority of them are not. So it puts They're, it all in perspective for you. Absolutely, and and you know something, Sarah. Having a relationship, and I say this often, is probably one of the hardest things that we have to do. I mean, they're wonderful because relationships are, as I write in the book, they're everything. Um, but they're very difficult because here you are with this person, you're getting to know them. The more intimate you become, um, the more that you uh, kind of know the the bumps and the crevices and 
the things that you don't love, and no one is perfect. You can't expect them because you're not perfect, so you mm-hmm. can't expect the other person to be perfect. And sometimes that's that's the way uh, to get out of an uh, not an argument, but you know, if your partner is haranguing you and saying, "But you this, but you this, but you this, and you did this, and you did," that, and just to say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I made a mistake. It totally de-escalates the argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, and and that to me, I mean, the other thing, the other important research about relationships is the effect of negativity on a relationship. And um, I think Gottman found that the the successful couples, um, I can't remember if it's five or three, I think maybe three to one, three positive statements compared to one negative. The, the ratio mm-hmm. has to be uh, that the, the positive statements outweigh them. And um, one of the things that I often say to, to couples is, especially if, if they're having a problem, to think of the of your loved one. And you could be together six months, six years, or, you know, 16 years. To suddenly think about how you act towards Joe at work or Lily, who is in the cash, the cashier at the supermarket, who you see every week, and how would you act towards her? You would be polite, you'd be kind, you'd be curious about her. Um, and so, if you act as if you hardly know your partner sometimes, and just step back and get become curious, stay curious about each other. Um, I have in the book a, a thing called the Index of Possibilities of all the kinds of questions you can ask. Uh, that curiosity is so important to 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 keep it keep it alive. Well, thank you for that. I think overall, I mean, this topic is just really helpful in terms of communication and and learning how to better communicate with your partner. So I think, and and specifically in the article that you gave, um, or that we took from the family whisperer, the how to make him listen when you need to talk has some great points for anybody that's, that could be potentially in that situation. So we're going to make sure that we post that article on your show notes page so that they can read that and see if there is anything that they can relate to and, and really use those points that you mentioned in that article to, to work on their relationship. That's great. And I would hope also that you would encourage people to, to send send their questions to Dear Family Whisperer, even if they don't have kids, because as I, I often say it's not a parenting book, it's a relationship book. Uh, and and now is the time to ask the questions. Right, absolutely. We got through two chapters last night, and I think it's I'm excited to read the whole book because it's a lot of great information. Good, good. I'm glad you like it. Thank you. What do you find is the most common reason couples will struggle in their relationship? I think I think part of it we've touched on a, a little bit. Um, I think the problem is about the the slipping. They get stuck, um, and they're not proactive. They they kind of either sweep it under the rug. They make believe it's not happening, um, but. You know, once the honeymoon phase is over, which who knows, for some people it lasts 10 years and some 10 days, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, right. as people find out who the other person really is and, they, and the, the masks come off. And, you know, it, it may be when you start living together, um, 
Sorry about that. Um, and um, the, uh, the the thing to do is to really pay attention, and and that's what people don't realize. When I say relationships are hard work, they're not as hard if you pay attention. It's like maintenance. It's like the the grass growing. You know, sometimes you if you live in a place where you have a lawn. Um, you'll see that the, the grass is growing and then suddenly you haven't paid attention to it and, oh, my God, it's, you know, a foot high. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens with relationships. How did, it, how did I get so angry at him? How did I get so bored by him? How did I, uh, how did I not realize um, that uh, she doesn't listen to me when I talk and that I'm really hurt by that? That's, to me, the biggest mistake that couples make is by not staying on top of things. You've got to constantly assess. I mean, I feel that it's really important to just for a couple to take even 10 minutes and just have a kind of debriefing session. What what you what what did you up to today? What did you do? And it's not it's not heavy duty conversations, not big conversations about emotions and our future. It's the little things. It's the little things. What what made you happy in your day? What supported you in your day? What was disappointing? All the kinds of questions, again, that you would ask someone who you don't even know that well, just to be polite. Well, that's great advice that I hope our listeners can apply to their relationship, really specific things that they can do. Now we are going into the his and her round where Sarah and I each ask a question that's on our minds. Sarah's up first. Okay. Okay. Well, my question relates to the uh, communication and, and communicating with your spouse if if you feel that he's not or she's not listening to you. So if you could just say like the top three things that you should address or even maybe just two things if you're feeling that that's becoming an issue in your relationship to help resolve it. Okay. Well, the first thing I would say is don't blame the other person. Don't come at him with, or, well, you're saying it, so I'm going to say him. Don't come at him with, you don't talk to me anymore, or you're not listening to me. Start it with an I sentence, like, I've been feeling lonely lately. Start it with your own feelings. And that immediately puts him in, oh, he loves you, and, and he's concerned about you. If you on the other hand, say, you're not something, he immediately gets defensive and runs to a corner. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so th- so that's, that's first thing, is not to blame. Th- the second thing is, um, to, which I actually just said, is to lead with your feelings. And then the third thing I would say is, say it once, and then wait and listen to him. Because often... We come in an argument with an agenda. I'm going to get him to talk to me. And that's not going to work. What you need to do is both work together. And, you know, getting back to the team analogy, we're on the same team here. I, I, I feel this. How can, we, how can we fix this? Not how can you be better? And that's a very subtle difference, but it's really important. Well, I love that. It's the specific examples that our audience can take home and implement into their relationship. So those are so helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. My question is, I want to revisit, you mentioned the index of 
questions. I believe it's a book you have. No, no, it's in the book. It's in, in the book. Words. It's called an index of possibilities. Index of possibilities. Can you give us and our listeners uh, one of those possibilities? That's a great tool to use in a relationship. Well, for example, um, I'm going to try to find it in the book while I'm talking to you. But one of the things is that um, you know we we talk a lot about our backgrounds when we first court one another. You know, what's your family like? What are your brothers and sisters like? And then we stop asking those questions. So my feeling is, ask more questions. You know, what did you... I mean, I still sometimes ask my partner, what was it like at dinner time in your family? Very, very specific kinds of questions. Um, I'm really trying to find it as I'm talking to you, but um, I don't know if you have the book. I I don't have one with a... Oh, but I I love that example that you've already given because yeah. it's it's one that uh, I don't think we've heard and and it is a great point. Like because I remember the beginning of our relationship and I'm sure our listeners a lot of theirs is you're just trying to find out about that person and a lot of that has to do with their, their history, their family history, and then it's easy to sort of put that aside and and I like move forward after you've been together for a while. But I'm I'm back. I'm actually just even thinking right now to, that that's going to be really valuable for Sarah and I, and, and there's some questions I have. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, see, what, I, what I did in the book, I actually found it. I, I have three columns, and one's the general domain. So that could be the person's attitudes and beliefs, their experiences, the environment, what kind of space they like, their family, their interests, their relationships, and their triumphs and their struggles. So, for example... Um, attitudes and beliefs, you know, what do you believe in? What do you find important? I mean, so often we find that out about our partner when a news item comes on TV and suddenly you hear that they are anti-something. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. not going to get into politics. Right, right, right. <laughs> but um, so it could apply to that. It could be beliefs about children. It could be beliefs about relationships. It could be beliefs about health. I mean, something as simple as, how often do you think you should go to the doctor? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many questions. Um, where would you put work on your list of priorities, of life priorities? Um, so then with experiences, you might say, these are all the things of what moments stand out in the other person's life. So your firsts, your best, your worst, the most surprising, the most life-changing, you know, um, so uh, one question might be, how old were you and who taught you to ride a bike or to cook or to read? It, it speaks volumes, but when they answer that question, you really gain great insight into that person. And most of us get lazy. We don't think, oh, yeah, I know, she's got a mother and a father. Mm-hmm. You know? So these are really, uh, it makes for wonderful conversations. And they're People love to talk about themselves. As a journalist, I can tell you that this is true. People <laughs> love to talk about themselves. But we forget to ask our partners about themselves. Um, so, you know, you might ask about a, a relationship. I remember a very funny story. This woman was married to a guy who was in the Marines. And he would refer to this guy in his life as his best friend, and he hadn't seen him for six years. And so one of my questions is, you know, what makes him your best friend? Because people have different 
ideas about friendship, and that is very important to a relationship because at its core, every good relationship is a good friendship. So she finally sat him down and said, I don't get it. Why do you call me best friend? And he said to me, he said to her, you know, I was in Vietnam. He had my back. I had his. He's my best friend. Mm-hmm. Now, that was not part of her experience. But she learned a lot about her husband, about his sense of loyalty, about his sense of honor, his dignity, from that question. Yeah, I, I, I love this exercise for, for us because it's one we haven't really heard in, in all of our interviews and to get specific like that, and I'm looking forward to doing it with Sarah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good, good. Well, you have to let me know how it is. And, yeah. Um, you know, I'm gradually putting uh, parts of the book like that that I find either I think are very, very useful. Um, and by the way, I did. I have not heard somebody else say that either. Um, I came up with the idea because I realized that one of the, if you read all the relationship research, what happens to people is generally they forget to become excited about each other. They forget to be curious about each other, and they forget to surprise each other. Mm-hmm. And Surprises are wonderful, and sometimes they come out of these kinds of conversations. But you can you can make them happen. You really can make them happen. I love and they're it. not phony. You know, some no. some relationship exercises that that relationship. And I don't mean to poke fun at anybody, but I'm saying some of them. And and people who've done them are, are the first to say they're very stilted. You know, sometimes I think it has its use. Uh, the, the conversations where you repeat exactly what you're partner says Mm -hmm. so that you show that you understand well do that for you know a couple of days and you want to pull your hair out Um, I tried to find things that were part of our everyday existence and part of our everyday existence is you know sitting at meals together um, you know across the table or next to each other in the car the car is a wonderful place to have these kinds of conversations simply because you're not facing each other and also, it's not threatening to the other person because they're talking about themselves and their experience. And the more you learn about your partner, the better a partner you will be and the less you will take things personally. Because I think, um, you know, one thing that happens with couples is um, a guy, for example, who's very unexpressive, his his wife might take it personally. Oh, he doesn't love me anymore. He's not talking. And she very she forgets that he hasn't really been a big communicator the whole time for 10 years. But she doesn't she's not taking into consideration who he is. And so there's a way of meeting in the middle if you both respect who each of you are. Well, we we just love all this great information, and I hope our listeners will be able to use it, because I know we will. Good. I think that's great. Well, now it's time for our favorite part of the interview, the lasting love round. We'll ask you a series of questions, and you'll respond with great information to help set the foundation for a lasting relationship. We love it. Our listeners love it. So, Melinda, are you ready to help us build lasting love? I am. Great. What's one thing couples can do on a daily basis to help improve their relationship? Listen, take a moment to be together, and be curious about one another. Is there a book or resource you can recommend for couples? Well, I would suggest to any couple who's contemplating marriage and starting a family to read Family Whispering. 
um, my book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I also, I like anything by John Gottman, Harriet Lerner. She's a little bit older in terms of she's written the bulk of her books a few years ago, but she's terrific. And um, the other person is David Schnarch, S-C-H-N-A-R-C-H. And he wrote, I think, The Marriage Crucible, and I think that's a great book. Great. Well, we will have your book as well as some of those other recommendations on your show notes page at idopodcast.com. And our listeners know there to go, know to go there to find those awesome recommendations. Okay. We're getting married this year. Is there any advice you would give engaged couples or newlyweds? Yes. Um, I would say make it. Make a promise to yourself to always put your best self forward. And that best self, as I've mentioned in this conversation earlier, is the self that you present to the public. And um, try to always stay curious about your your uh, loved one and also act as if you hardly knew him. And that will give you a sense of exploration and discovery every day. If you could give just one single piece of advice for a successful relationship, what would it be? Um, I would say remember where you end and he begins. Well, I love it. It's uh, simple but so powerful. Well, thanks. We've really enjoyed hearing all the advice you've given us and our listeners today. So let's finish by having you tell our listeners where they can find you, and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Well, you can, uh, as I say, ask questions. Just Google Melinda Blau Huffington Post, and you'll be able to um, find the columns that I've written. And also, if you go to familywhispering.com, you'll find out uh, there's lots of uh, excerpts of the book and ways to contact me, and I, I love hearing from readers, so I hope that you do. Our listeners can find all the information and links to today's episode on idopodcast.com. Go to the podcast tab and you'll be in the archives. And thank you so much for all your generous knowledge and for taking the time to come on our show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Are you interested in learning five ways to improve your relationship on a daily basis? How about five tips for engaged couples or newlyweds? This information and more is our free gift to you when you go to idopodcast.com and subscribe to our mailing list. Thank you so much for joining us today on I Do Podcast. Head on over to idopodcast.com for full recaps of every show, relationship resources, tips, and advice. Your path to a successful and lasting relationship awaits you. Are you ready to create lasting love? You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.